Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area please be sure to download the veritas catholic radio network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our stations content not just the front line with joe and joe and we would ask you if you like that content if you value that content please share the link with your friends okay and you can listen uh to all of the programming at uh, veritas from anywhere in the world right now we currently have uh people who have downloaded uh, uh veritas in about 25 countries so we're definitely getting the word out there and finally uh, if you like Joe and I and what we do, both on Veritas and on our, our YouTube show, uh, you can follow us at the Frontline TV on YouTube, the Frontline TV on YouTube, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program Bishop Athanasius Snyder. And uh, His Excellency, His Excellency has written a new book that's available at Sophia Institute Press, The Springtime That Never Came. And we're going to get into exactly what that means with Bishop Snyder. But before we do, just a quick bio. And we know all of you out there listening to the front line with Joe and Joan Veritas know who Bishop Snyder is. But having said that, Athanasius Snyder was born in 1961 in Kyrgyzstan to a German family and baptized with the name Antonius. In 1973, the family immigrated to Germany. He joined the Order of Canons Regular of the Holy Cross in Austria in 1982 and received the religious name Athanasius. He was ordained a priest in Brazil in 1990. Having earned a doctorate in petrology at the Augustinianum in Rome, he has taught since 1999 at the seminary in Karaganda, Kazakhstan. In 2006, he was ordained bishop in the Basilica of St. Peter in Rome and appointed titular bishop of Celerina and auxiliary bishop of Caraganda. From 2011 to the present, he has been auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana, chairman of the liturgical commission and secretary general of the Conference of the Catholic Bishops of Kazakhstan. Bishop Schneider is the author of two books on the Holy Eucharist, Dominus Est, It is the Lord, and Corpus Christi and Holy Communion, and the renewal of the church. Bishop Athanasius Snyder, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you. You're welcome. Your Excellency, uh, would you lead us in prayer before we start our conversation? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificeto nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. 
In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Your Excellency, as Joe uh, read in your bio, I mean, you have uh, an extensive background. Your family has uh, lived around the world. Uh, one of the places that you spent a considerable amount of time is the former Soviet Union. Um, I'm sure that that was not easy. I mean, you know, clearly as Americans, we read about, uh, you know, what was going on there. Uh, could you share with us uh, what you and your family experienced while living under that regime? Well, the first is that the entire public life was marked by the absence of any signs of religion. It was an atmosphere of complete materialism and the atheism was propagated, especially in schools, universities. So we, even in school, uh, I was 12 years old, we had uh, a lesson which was called scientific atheism. So it was propagated everywhere. And then the cult of Lenin, uh, it was really in every corner, uh, his name, his statue of Marx and Engel and, and Lenin, as like uh, it had for me an impression like there were idols, gods. So, and this system of communism was a kind, had, had a characteristic really of a kind of religion even though they were fighting against religion. This is uh, the exterior um, uh, atmosphere. And then, of course, the other difficult situation was that we had almost no priests. The church was persecuted by the state and the many priests were imprisoned or under domestic arrest, house arrest. And, but, um, and so we were many times without priest and we had to pray on Sundays alone. I mean, the family only or with a small group of faithful in a hidden way uh, without a priest. These were my uh, memories of my childhood but sometimes, thanks be to God, to the divine providence, a priest could come uh, uh, secretly to our home or to a, another neighbor's home, uh, to a Catholic family. And there we could assist the Holy Mass before, of course, we prepared for Holy Confession. The priest, the entire night, he's, he was not sleeping. He spent his time to confess and then to prepare us good for Holy Communion, for the Holy Mass. And this was nevertheless, these difficult situations of the persecuted church left in my life a deep impression. And it was really a time of graces. The Lord granted us so many graces, especially because of the persecution. God is so good that he grants us uh, the more difficult is the time in which we live this was my experience the more divine providence divine love grants uh, to uh, his faithful 
special graces. And these graces were the, uh, the increasing of faith. Simply, we were ever more convinced and strengthened in our convictions of our holy Catholic faith. And, um, and then the, the usual life in the Soviet Union was, I would say, modest. We did not live in, in poverty as such, but we, were, uh, really, we, we lived a modest life. And this was also beneficial, in my opinion, not in a wealth and in abundance, but we had to learn to renounce, to, to be content with, with the little which we had. But uh, then we were happy when we received something, special gifts. Uh, and so it was also beneficial. Uh, all these circumstances, even though they were from the human point of view, not so positive, but lastly, it increased our faith and our trust in the Lord. Bishop Athanasius Snyder is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I have a question, Your Excellency. You mentioned materialism. You also mentioned uh, wealth, which you did not have under the Soviet Union, right? But I'd like for you to just, um, this might be a little digression from what we originally, but it's a question I had based on what you said. Let our audience know, we obviously, you mentioned materialism. And obviously, Marxism is a materialist philosophy. There's nothing transcendent. There obviously is no God. In the case of Marxism, um, and in the case of, let's say, Soviet communism, this is, the, this is the destruction of organized religion through the power of the state. Would you agree if I said that the materialism that we have now in America, which can be just as destructive, okay, um, and we are free marketeers, Joe and I, okay, we're not socialists, we're not communists, okay, but materialism and consumerism could lead to the death of God also. The only difference is, though, people individually kill God because God becomes inconvenient for their very, you know, their, their prosperous and wealthy lifestyle. Am I being unfair by saying that? Yes, you are correct, and the experience showed us in the Western world that this consumerism and these uh, the people are so attached only to the material goods and they have no horizon of uh, eternity of supernatural life which is the uh, the first important uh, essential life for human beings the supernatural life is god and the eternity to and so they are forgetting eternity and God and uh, living in an excessive mode uh, attached only to the material goods. And this, you are correct, this is the danger in the West. This is a practical atheism, not an ideological as the Soviet Union and, the, and China and so on promote, or as Marx promoted, but uh, a practical materialism, and therefore the church has in the priest to warn people to, from this danger, to be immersed only in temporal affairs, but not to forget the eternity. And so the church in her prayers, especially in the old prayers of the Missal, of the Roman Missal, uh, prayed that we may even despise 
the material goods uh, in order not to forget the eternity, the eternal goods, and to prefer to have uh, to suffer some temporal material um, aspects or uh, renouncements uh, rather than to damage, to harm our soul. Thank you. Thank you for, for clarifying that, Your Excellency. Bishop Athanasius Snyder is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we are discussing his new book. Um, and I just knew we were going to get a little bit off topic, Your Excellency. I apologize. Um, the book is The Springtime That Never Came. Joe Racinello, where do you want to head? Well, obviously, uh, Your Excellency, you pay attention, as we do, to the geopolitical state of what's going on in the West, uh, particularly uh, in Canada and the United States. You see a lot of um, leftist ideology, socialism being embraced. Um, clearly, you lived, as you just said, through uh, the former Soviet Union's regime, and you're fully versed in what that looks like. What are your thoughts on what you're seeing, the trends that you're seeing um, with regard to the embrace of some of those ideologies in the United States and particularly Canada? Um, as we now mentioned already now in my previous answer, uh, we can observe an excessive tendency to materialism in the public life, in the people. So, and uh, it seems that there is, exists only this short temporal life with the material goods. And this excessive consumerism, materialism in the Western world is um, building up a, a very, very dangerous phenomenon. And this is the, um, the egoism. So the, the people are becoming really egoist, selfish. And therefore, they are even ready to kill other others who are at um, uh, whom they perceive as a hindrance for achieving their wealthy or their uh, pleasures, material or temporal pleasures. And so, the greatest catastrophe of the Western world is the genocide of the unborn people of, of the unborn children because they are considered as uh, an obstacle uh, in order to achieve their life of limitless pleasures and materialism and so on. And so this, is a, this excessive consumerism is creating a society of murderers. We have to state this with plainly, a society of murderers and of merciless people. And then they will uh, eliminate the elderly and the, the sick people who are also a burden for them. And so they will only live in a materialistic society without the vision of God and the eternal life we are creating a very cruel society of the um, only of the powerful people, those who are powerful, who are who have strength, bodily or politically. And then, when you have no more strength, you are thrown away 
the garbage, like the garbage. And this is the reality to which is now leading this excessive materialism, consumerism in the Western world. Your Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Your Excellency, and the the thing that bothers a couple of guys like us is that the same people who say, keep your hands off my body or a woman's right to choose when it comes to abortion particularly, okay, they they more, and they say, you have no right to tell me what to do. They moralize more than anybody. They are more moralistic. They have, I've said on the show, your Excellency, I've said a million times, God has 10 commandments. They have 10,000. They want to even control the words you use, okay? So when they talk about who's authoritarian and who's not the big, bad Catholic Church, okay, these people, they, in, in, their, in their hatred of God, in their hatred of the good, the true, and the beautiful, and their hatred of logos, okay, they impose infinitely more restrictions on human behavior, than the Catholic Church could even conceive of. Would you agree with that? Exactly, exactly. This is a fact. We have not to agree. We see this, we, we have to state this, and this is obvious that we are ever more such as said this uh, attitude is cruel and selfish. When, when the selfishness and is becoming ever more, you will be controlled completely. You have no more freedom. Only those will have freedom who are powerful, who have uh, the power. And therefore, they have to strive to build up really a new Christian society. And only with the Christian faith, we can really build a lasting uh, society which will last in the morality really to build up a real human society is only possible with the commandments of God right. and with Jesus Christ, the King of all societies. Well, when people wonder, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, Bishop Snyder, when people wonder why everything out there is chaos and no logos, you just answered their question. When you try to build on sand, we all know, we've all read that in scripture, you build the house on sand, it's going to get blown away. Joe Rasinello, where do you want to head? Well, we've talked about uh, your uh, United States and Canada, and obviously uh, Benedict XVI took the name Benedict to try to uh, instill uh, a Catholic uh, worldview back to Europe. Um, Clearly, Europe has abandoned its Christian roots, and in many ways, America is living in a post-Christian period of history as well. Many say that the Catholic world is centering in on Africa, you see the, the church thriving in Africa. Uh, vocations are are coming from Africa left and right. This was missionary territory. Now they are going out into the world. We need to be. Uh, we're missionary territory now. What is your thoughts on the center of the Catholic world moving to Africa? Yes, we can see in Africa the church is really growing also in numbers but also as you mentioned in vocations but also in africa unfortunately there is the influence of the western materialistic society already in the big cities we have to state this and also in within the church there is also an influence which which is coming from europe because the 
most priests and the bishops, they are educated theologically in Europe. And so especially my concern is in Africa, the liturgy that the, the majority of the clergy are celebrating a very superficial manner of the divine worship of the Holy Mass. And so in a more an entertainment style, uh, and so very close to the Protestant communities who are flourishing in Africa as well, the sects, mm. the charismatic movements, and this is also not the true Catholic uh, way. Uh, this is also have to state, but in general, in Africa are more vocations, of course, and they have to take this possibility to to accompany them, to give them a good formation theologically and liturgically. And usually the, the African people, they have a, an innate um, feeling of reverence, of awe, of adoration. And this they can t t teach us Europeans or Western people to regain again the deep respect uh, before the sacredness, the sacredness of God, the sacredness and sublimity of uh, the, the prayer, the liturgy. So they kept this still. I've, I have visited several times Africa in the, in the past years, and these people, they are keeping this value, this, this feeling of the sacred the sacredness, the, the reverence. And this is ultimately an expression of humility. And God loves humility and exalts, raises up the humble ones. And so this is the message I think from the African church to remind us, we have to be humble uh, before God and reverent. So this is, I think, a message also for the Western Church to regain again these um, virtues, the virtue of humility. Absolutely. Bishop Snyder is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. We are moving way into the breach discussing. Uh, we're discussing a few different topics. When we come back from the break after a few minutes, we want to get more into the nitty gritty of the book itself. The book is The Springtime That Never Came. Um, that's available at Sophia Press. We encourage all of our listeners to please, whatever wherever uh, the books that are written by our guests are available, please buy it from the publisher. Buy it from our Catholic publishers, from our Catholic booksellers, so we could support them. Joe Resinello. Before we talk specifically about the book, I just wanted to ask you, because you mentioned about some Protestant uh, denominations in Africa, what's the proper approach to uh, ecumenicalism? There, there's a lot of different ideas in the Catholic world. I always uh, lean towards what uh, Benedict XVI said. It's through friendship. You never uh, lower your standards. You offer a hand of friendship, and it's through the Holy Spirit that uh, – Hopefully, people will see the truth, which is contained in the Catholic Church. But I think you see, especially in um, what what's commonly referred to as the spirit of Vatican II, different people going in different directions with ecumenicalism, and there's a lot of confusion there. What is the proper view of ecumenicalism? 
as the ecumenism is what our Lord said in his prayer, in the last prayer of our Lord, that uh, his disciples should be one, but not simply one. He said, as I am one with you, Father. So the, the deepest unity is the unity in God itself. And this is the highest truth. So it is not a, just a cheap uh, form of unity. This is not the unity which our Lord asks for. And therefore, there is only the, the, the question in ecumenism is the truth, because only the truth sets us free. And the truth is unchangeable. We cannot uh, um, make uh, some... Um, negotiations on truth. It's impossible because Christ is the truth. We cannot sell Christ uh, on the market of, of the ecumenism because all the Catholic truths and dogmas is a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself, of God who is the sublime and supreme truth revealed to the apostles and the Catholic Church transmitted this, not invented the truth, but transmitted. We have to, of course, to explain in a loving manner, uh, in a patient way, the truths uh, of the Catholic Church to our brethren who are not Catholics, to help them to understand deeper, but not to, uh, to do some ambiguities or to start to, to, to make uh, negotiations, but only to, to tell them the truth. This is the, and to invite them to join the fullness, to be members of the Catholic Church, which is our mother, which is only one church on earth. There's no other. It's the Holy Catholic Church founded by God. The others are separated from the church and they have to help them I repeat, with patience, with love, to discover the, the, the truth which we possess. It is, it is our gift which God gave us, and we have this treasure to keep, to transmit. And then, but on the same, uh, in the same, at the same time, we have to practice, I will, I will call this an ecumenism of life the simple friendship. It is so important to create a good atmosphere, psychological atmosphere of openness of the others, not Catholics, to receive the truth. So when only when you are creating an atmosphere of benevolence, of love, of respect, you can more easily transmit the, the fullness of truth to the others. So this is the other way to create to an atmosphere of love in our relationships uh, and uh, confidence also. And then we can do some important works maybe for the benefit of the entire society together with the non-Catholics, especially the common our common battle against the genocide of the unborn children. Here we have to join all our forces with the non 
Catholic Christians to fight these, for example, or to fight the, the gender ideology, the destruction of marriage and family with the new communist uh, gender ideology, because the gender ideology is, an, is the last uh, um, form of Marxism uh, and communism. We have to state this, because already Marx and Engels, they wrote this, that we have to destroy the family and marriage as the last uh, stage, last um, level of communism. So we have to join the Christians all to fight against these uh, destructive uh, elements in the human society, these two. And so therefore, and then also of course pray, but we cannot pray together when we are not yet united. So to which mm -hmm. aim we will pray? This is a confusion. We have to pray earnestly to God that he will illuminate uh, these brothers to recognize their errors, mm -hmm. to recognize that they are separated and to give them the grace. It is the grace of God, not our ecumenical uh, meetings and our ecumenical discussions. They will never bring them back to the fullness of our Holy Mother Church. This is the grace of God on lastly, ultimately, who will bring them the grace of the fullness of faith and of, to, to come again back to the house of the mother, come back to the house of the mother church. This we have to, therefore we have to pray for them and we cannot pray together because since they have not the same desire to return to Holy Mother Church, then we cannot pray. If they will have the same desire, okay, then we can pray this prayer. But when they have simply let us be one, but what does mean one? Right. They, the Protestants mean another, um, they have another, uh, how do you say, uh, impression and another vision what is one in the church as the Catholics. Right. So Bishop Snyder, we just have to leave it there for one second. We just got to, I'm so sorry, we just have to take a quick break. It is radio after all. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. We're very honored to have His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder. We're discussing his new book, The Springtime That Never Came. We want to get into that on the other side of the break. Stick around. We have another segment. Don't go anywhere. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder. We are discussing a bunch of different things. We want to get into his book, The Springtime That Never Came. But, you know, when you're talking to Bishop Snyder, you can go on for hours and hours because he identifies many of the problems that are plaguing us as human beings, particularly as Catholics, those things that are plaguing our culture, our society, um, and quite frankly, is costing souls. And, and that's why, you know, we, we are honored to have him on the show. And that's why, what, you know, when he, when he speaks, we need to listen. With that, Joe Resinello. I want to talk about uh, the idea in your book. Uh, it's, a, it's like a phrase, new apologetics. But first, I want to just circle back to what you were saying, because I think it's very important. I've heard in certain ecumenical circles, and this is incorrect, and I, I'd like you to explain it, because you could explain it a lot better than me, because I think it even ha takes place within the Catholic world, where people will receive the Eucharist on their terms. I have heard that. You receive it on your terms. That is incorrect correct. That is incorrect for Catholics. That is also incorrect for our Protestant brothers and sisters. They're not to receive. You have to, you have to basically accept everything before you receive the Eucharist. Please, I think, talk about that. Obviously, we have to receive in a state of grace, too. I think there's a lot of confusion on what that means and, frankly, how we're to basically avail ourselves to this gift, which is Jesus. Yes, uh, there is a lot of confusion because uh, we cannot give never to non-Catholics to declare non-Catholics the Holy Eucharist because this is a contradiction itself and undermines uh, the true meaning of the Eucharist. And it is a trivialization of the Eucharist itself. And undermining the doctrine itself, the truth, because the, the Holy Communion is the highest and fullest expression of the unity of all members of the Church. So it's the highest expression of the unity with the Church itself. And so when someone is not accepting all the truth of the church, all the dogmas, not only the dogma on the Holy Eucharist and the transubstantiation, it's not sufficient. All the dogmas, also about Our Lady, the Immaculate Conception, also about the papacy, the dogma of the primacy and the infallibility of the magisterium of the church and the Pope. So when someone is not uh, accepting all these, then he is not in full uh, union with the church. There is a lack. And how, and when he is going at the same time to receive Holy Communion, he is lying because he is still rejecting or not accepting the fullness of the church. So he is not united with all the truth with the church, but is uh, showing by receiving Holy Communion that I am in full complete the fullest union with the church. This is a contradiction and a lie. And we cannot uh, continue to, to do such lies. And, um, and then uh, the, the, the Holy Eucharist is becoming such, uh, we will decrease the, the holiness 
and the, the meaning of the Eucharist by doing such, uh, such a praxis of giving communion to, to Protestants or to non-Catholics, even though when they recognize the, the validity of the Eucharist from their point of view, I mean, this is not sufficient. And even if they are personally in a state of grace, God knows this, but we don't know. Uh, but even though it's not sufficient, because the Eucharist is a exterior, the most um, sublime and fullest exterior sign also of the unity of the church. It's not mm -hmm. only an invisible and the individual sign of my unity with God, but uh, exterior, because we are Catholics, we are not Protestants, which are, who are um, fostering this individualism in my relationships with God, the subjectivism. We are the Catholic visible church with the visible unity. Well, does it strike you, Your Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe? The Springtime That Never Came is his new book, um, and that's available at Sophia Institute Press. I, I think, in my mind, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not an historian, Your Excellency, um, but I know history, and it strikes me. You mentioned su uh, the subjectivity of Protestantism. That that was the that started the downfall of Europe. That was the beginning of the downfall of Western civilization is Martin Luther. And nobody wants to say it. The subjectivization of Christianity. It is not subjective. It is objective. The, the way, the truth, and the life is something that exists outside of you, transcends you, and is a person. And the, subje the, the subjectification of Christianity, which is which at the end of the day was the subjectification of of, of what was handed down through the Catholic Church. That's what's led to the destruction over the last 500 years, right through all the false ideologies, right through the false uh, ideas of the Enlightenment, right through the French Revolution, the Communist Revolution, and the rest of it. And nobody wants to say it like that. Am I just, am I just ranting here, Your Excellency, or is that what we're living in right now? Yes, we have to go to the roots of the problems, the roots. And not only to uh, to take care of the leaves of the tree, we have to go to the roots. And as you mentioned exactly, Luther started the subjectivism. He put your ego, your I, your ego in the center of faith. And this is wrong because in the center of faith is the is God. Not I myself. It is the the incarnation, the objectivity that's God and the Church, and this is the continuity of the incarnation of God. Therefore, God incarnated. Otherwise, it would be not necessary that God became man and visible, because you put with your beautiful ideas and with your feelings uh, reach some some happiness, but only in your imagination mm. or some truth in your imagination. And this was the method of the so-called movement or of the gnosis, Gnosticism uh, 2000 years ago. It was a very fashion in with the intellectuals, this Gnosis. So without exterior... Uh, signs of presence of God 
in history only in your mind. And so this is the, the virus, so I would say the virus of Gnosticism, which is basically in Martin Luther, even though he, maybe he, he would not recognize this, but this is because he makes the criteria of truth his perception. Mm. And, and lastly, uh, because he's, of course, he says, I will observe what the church, what the first four councils taught. He accepted this, but this is arbitrary, because why only the, four, the first four ecumenical councils, which Luther accepted, the Christology and, and the doctrine on Trinity, and then he stopped and said, and the, the rest not. The rest I will decide. I will, uh, what is true and what is not true. And the, the Orthodox said, we accept only the first seven councils and the rest not. So mm. this is very arbitrary and also a kind of subjectivism. Of course, the Orthodox not so much because they have not the, the principle of subjectivity, but of the tradition. But for them, the tradition is in some way closed uh, on the eighth century, but mm -hmm. tradition is so. And from this uh, method of Martin Luther, uh, that uh, what I trust I believe, I recognize, uh, I can interpret the word of God. We, we see the fruits. It was in his life, they were separated already, the, the Protestants, in the life of Luther, uh, Zwingli, Calvin, and, and so on. And then continuously, since Martin Luther, this was a demonstration that the subjectivism is producing separation and everyone will then create his own religion. And, uh, and we have today countless Protestant sects and religions uh, or denominations, which are rooted ultimately on the principle of Martin Luther to subjectively interpret uh, the, the Holy Scripture. Right. Uh, you, uh, Your Excellency, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rosanello. His Excellency, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, is joining us. It, I, you summed it up perfectly from the earlier parts of our conversation here at the front line. You were talking about, you know, Jesus prayed to the Father that we all be one as he and the Father are one. The divisions in Christianity, let's say. I personally, I, I, I would look at any Protestant, and I have respectfully, not in a nasty way, but I have said to them, I said, if you guys are so unified, why are there 45,000 different churches that call themselves Christian? You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's chaos. It's not unified. There's nothing objective. And that, uh, Joe and I would argue, is the real problem. But we must, uh, with respect, Your Eminence, we, we want to, Your Excellency, we just want to try to get to as much as we can in the next 17 minutes or so. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Because we want people, ultimately, because, uh, you know, we value, of course, what you're writing. Uh, Your Excellency. So we want people to go out and buy the book. The book is The Springtime That Never Came. It's available at Sophia Institute Press. So make sure you go out and buy it, all you listening to us at the front line at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe Rosanello. Uh, Bishop Snyder, in that book, you mentioned uh, a need for a new type of apologetics. Please explain what you mean by that. Apologetics means in Greek uh, to defend or to justify the reasons of 
uh, your convictions. And our deepest conviction is the faith, the revealed faith which we accept with the supernatural act of faith, the truth which God reveals. This is our deepest conviction. And as St. Peter uh, is writing in his letter, we have to give account of what we believe, in what we trust to the others. And this is apologetic, basically, to give the reason why we believe, <laughs> to show that our belief is according also to the reason, but not simply human reason, but to the highest reason, the highest logos is Jesus Christ, who is logos, who is the, the word. And God is the highest wisdom and reason. And so we have to demonstrate with some means the beauty of this truth, which we believe, and also the, the reasonableness also, and to show to others and to invite them for, to, to accept with God's grace, of course, this beauty of truth. The truth is beauty and attracts also. And this is one part of the necessary, necessary apologetics, which we have to restart again in, in, within the Catholic Church. And we have so many good tools to demonstrate, to explain the truth, the good catechisms, which we have, the old ones, the good Baltimore catechism, Spirago catechism, which of the old times is still available. Then there is a, a new um, project of Sophia Press to, uh, to publish several catechisms which were very, very uh, useful in the past, but because the truth is the same, it's remaining. And so, or to, to have some good explanations of faith, uh, for example, Fulton Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, gave very good and reasonable and convincing explanations of the truth of faith in his shows and in his articles, for example. So we have, we have these tools, we have to use them. And, and then also the ap apologetics means also defense. So we have to defend our faith when we are attacked. Uh, or when the Catholic uh, faith is disfigured or uh, shown in a wrong way, not in an authentic way. We have to defend because what is uh, for us precious, we have also to defend this treasure and to reject the false arguments in order to lead people also to truth. So these two, to explain the positively the beauty of the Catholic Church and also to defend them from slander and other incorrect uh, presentation. Bishop Athanasius Schneider joining us on the front line with Joe and Joe. Quick question, quick response, if you don't mind, Your Excellency. But then once we defend, do we, is it not then incumbent on us, especially people who have the knowledge and the intelligence to then go on the attack? 
intellectually, philosophically, on all these levels. It's one thing to defend, but in part of defending, we need to start attacking the false ideas that are out there. Now, again, I want to know whether you agree, a short answer if you don't mind, Your Excellency. Do we not then, once we've successfully defended, then need to go on the attack against atheism, against materialism, against Protestantism, against these things, and, and, and attack them again, respectfully, but using our reason and intelligence. Is that not also important? Yes, it was since the beginning also of the church. Uh, I would say, instead of attack, I would say uh, this, um, how do you say in English, to take away the mask of someone, uh, so that the false mask, which is, mm -hmm. and this did St. Irenaeus, of Lyon in the in the second century, to dismask, unmask uh, the the untruth. So he wrote five books with the title against the heresies, Saint Irenaeus in the in the end of the second century, and so he unmasked uh, the the falsehood, the errors mm -hmm. of Gnosticism, for example. In, the, in that time. And so we can also do, I would prefer in, 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 uh, instead of attack to unmask the, the, the untruth, to, to simply to show the inconsistency of, of the positions of the enemies of the church, let us say, mm -hmm. uh, who are now attacking the family and marriage, the, the gay ideology, ideology or the, the mass murder of children, or the, the new communist worldwide government who will take us away all our, our fundamental civic liberties and possessions, mm -hmm. if we are on this way now, we have to defend this. I, I'm glad you corrected me, Your Excellency. I'm glad you corrected me. Uh, I, I prefer your way of saying it, uh, to unmask, uh, to rip the mask off rather than attack. We only have about... Uh, go ahead, go ahead, uh, Your Excellency. So, and so this, this did the fathers of the church, and, and to unmask them, it's, it's also, we have to, to be um, conscious, aware, that the apologetics, even when we are unmasking the falsehood and the errors, it is a work of charity, of charity, love for your neighbor, because you are taking away his illusions, his errors. At least you give him the possibility to recognize his errors. Right. And this is one of the seven works of spiritual mercy, spiritual works of mercy, to help the, the people who is in error. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Your Excellency. Joe Resinello. Um, I've, I've heard you say that, uh, sadly, as a result of a lot of the uh, theological confusion, there's mental gymnastics going on. That's the, the way I, I, I heard you phrase it. And, and I see it. I mean, we interview a lot of people. You see it in, in what's being like taught in Germany currently. They're trying to bring in uh, homosexuality almost as an accepted norm. And then you could see it in other uh, circles of the church, people who don't accept Francis as the Pope, people who don't 
recognize Vatican II as legitimate, not the spirit of Vatican II, the document itself. I mean, they and they rationalize these things. Smart people, like, talk about this because I I think this is. In my lifetime, I'm going to be 52. I've never seen a more confusing period. People are all over the place, and and frankly, I I think it's 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 very dangerous. And and many people I think are going to go in the wrong direction because of it, and they are in the wrong spot. Yes, the confusion is exactly, to my opinion, the the deepest cause and root is that we have not clear positions and teaching now in this pontificate from Pope Francis, and the confusions are coming from there. But the behavior of the people which which you mentioned, it's not correct. So we cannot reject Pope Francis because he is speaking ambiguous, he makes, he's doing ambiguous statements or actions. Nevertheless, he remains the Pope. And, and he will not lose his papacy, but we have to pray for him that he may regain the, the strength to clarify, to teach really clear, unambiguous. This is the task, this is Jesus Christ and the apostles and all the popes. And um, so this is one side. The other side is uh, that people even there are some expressions in my book, uh, The Springtime It's Never Came, I explained some expressions in the Vatican II documents which are objectively ambiguous. So you can interpret them in this way or in the other way. Let us say when there is the statement in Lumen Gentium 16, uh, is, which is states so, we Catholics and the Muslims, we are together adoring one God. This is at least highly ambiguous. We cannot together adore with the Muslims. We also always adore supernaturally in with faith. The Muslims, they have no supernatural faith because they reject the Holy Trinity explicitly. And if when they pray, they pray in a natural level, natural, not supernatural. This is the basic distinction. And so when the council say we together adore, we cannot adore together with the Muslims. It's impossible because I repeat, there's a substantial different levels of prayer, the the Catholic prayer and the Muslim prayer first. And, And the object of our adoration from their point of view, even they have a distorted meaning of God, the the Muslims also, distorted, not the true, many of them. Maybe some of them have the true meaning of one creator, well, but even though it is very misleading, such an expression. I only mentioned one example, and there are some other examples, but what I said, they the mental gymnastics. Then they come people, good intentioned, who start to to justify this expression of of, of Lumen Gentium. Okay, this is so correct. We can adore with the Muslims together. And then they start to write books and justify this in a non-convincing manner, in an obvious mental gymnastics, 
because this statement is in say not possible. We have to, it is dangerous, it is ambiguous. We have to change this. Uh, we could say we Catholics adore God always in a supernatural way, while the Muslims adore God, so according to the natural knowledge, in a natural way. This would be correct, but not to, to make a confusion and, and then to start to justify this confusion. This is what as I'm saying, the mental gymnastics. When they start to justify an evident ambiguity, we cannot justify an ambiguity. This is impossible. And, and we have to be honest also. And so because Vatican II is not infallible, we have to state this because the popes, which uh, John the 23rd and Paul the Sixth, they said that, that this council is only pastoral character. Pastoral, pastoral means it is an, an application of principles in practice uh, and therefore it's not meant and Paul the Sixth and the end of the council declared that this council had not the intention to propose to the faithful doctrines in a definite manner as dogmas, not. And so uh, we have to, to be precisely what is infallible in the church and what is not infallible. We cannot simply say the Pope is from morning to the evening and the night always infallible. This is not Catholic. This would be, a, uh, how do you say, uh, it's not Catholic. The church, the mm -hmm. church is infallible only in in rare occasions and precisely limited occasions. In other occasions, the church can, or the magisterium, I see, not the church, the pope, or some bishops or a council can express uh, even an error. Uh, because they had not the intention to propose us this definitively. And, mm -hmm. and so, but usually the divine providence protects the Pope and the church depending on the personality of the Pope uh, when he's uh, speaking not infallibly, let us say daily, in the daily pronouncements. So we have to have very clear distinction here, otherwise we will make a confusion and they make then uh, the circling, uh, how do you say, the, uh, the, sir, the they will make this. Um, uh, Talking circles. Pardon? Talking circles, just continue to just justify oh, in talking. It's not, it's not, not squaring the circle, no? Oh, yeah, 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 squaring the circle. Your, yeah. your Excellency, we have about, and I, I hate to put this kind of limit on you with this kind of question, got about a minute and a half. I would like for you to maybe give your thoughts. Joe mentioned the ambiguity. That's part of obviously why you wrote this book. It did not lead to a springtime, okay? We are in more confusion now. Again, I'm a little older than Joe, not much in our lifetimes. Do you see at some point getting to a critical mass where especially the Catholic faithful, late Catholics are gonna, going to demand an end to the confusion that's been that started 60 years ago and continues to this day. Do you see that? Give us about 60 seconds, Your Excellency. Do you see hope that the confusion is going to be addressed and reversed? Yes, because the church is in the hands of Christ. 
the church is not in the hands of the Pope and the bishops ultimately, and not in our hands. It is in the hands of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church. Now we are preparing for Pentecost. And the Sp Holy Spirit is always uh, awakening in the souls in the difficult times. He is giving the help which we need. And in our time, I'm seeing in young people, young families, in you, in your work, the desire to put end to this confusion, to bring clarity in faith, to bring again the, the treasure of the, the tradition of the saints. And this is flourishing now slowly. I'm observing this in many places, but it's still, still um, small, like flowers in the end of the winter who is coming slowly. And so this gives hope. And we have to uh, renew our confidence that the Lord is purifying his church and the church will regain again all its beauty and clarity and uh, crystal clarity in the doctrine without ambiguities more. And in the Holy Liturgy, the, the sublimity, the sacredness in the Holy Liturgy, the a new a new generation of holy priests we need. And from them will flourish the church and is starting again slowly. Thank and you God for that, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we do have to end it there. The book is The Springtime That Never Came. The author is His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and the publisher is Sophia Institute Press. We encourage all of you out there to go out and buy this valuable book. Bishop Athanasius Schneider, thank you so much uh, for joining you and I. Again, we're very honored that you came on the show, um, and I'm sure we're going to have you back in the in the near future to, to get you in a little bit more trouble here at the... Uh, at the front line. Uh, but thank you very much, and thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Network Radio, Radio Mobile app, so you can have access to all of our station's content. And please, if you like Joe and I and what we do on our social media, the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.